Hello, and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of two certified financial planners. Each week, we give a brief market update, discuss current economic conditions, and provide education on a financial subject. Now, here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Nguyen. All right, Bill, new week, same question. How are the markets? Up, 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 and down. So we have the S&P 500 up 0.84% over the last week. Small caps roaring up 3.25%. Long bonds up 2.5%, but international legging down 0.42%. So uh, three green, one red. Is the international laggard because of the comments that I feel like the Fed for other countries have been stating that they're a little bit more hawkish than Powell was? Or is it just function? No, I think, you know, going back to last month or so, everything was shot out of a cannon and and there's some profit taking coming in. I, half a percent's nothing. So I, I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't read too much into it, especially this time of the year. Um, things get kind of distorted because people want to hold gains. Mm. Um <clears throat> They might be taking losses in some cases. Uh, so it's not normal portfolio activity, uh, certainly when there's just two weeks to go. Um, but my guess is probably a little profit taking coming in. Yeah. yeah. And so when you talk about normal activity, so sh- is it possible we'd see kind of a little bit of a pullback because people are doing some selling for tax purposes? Or do you think we'll just continue to strong throughout the new year? Uh, I think we'll rally into the year because okay. at this point, people don't want to uh, take gains and um, and people start buying the winners. So they tell everybody, look, we own NVIDIA, we own Microsoft, uh, and they're selling the losers uh, like Pfizer and Walgreens, um, getting rid of those. But I, I think the momentum will continue into the, into the, into the end of the year because, again, people are up significantly, don't want to realize any gains. And then in January, they may may take some profits, but uh, we, we got some good momentum going on right now and really not a lot to get in its way. Yeah, and I, I know we don't ask why the market's up, but when we're having, what's kind of the cause of that momentum, rates continuing to drop and then a strong holiday season? I know retail hasn't been perfect for this holiday season, so what's really causing all that momentum? It, it's the interpretation of the Fed comments and the reaction of interest rates. So interest rates have come down significantly, especially the 10-year. And people are trying to interpret uh, uh, Powell's comments. And I think people are taking out of his comments what they want to hear. And so the market's saying, hey, we're rallying next year. The Fed's going to lower rates six times. Game on. And uh, we'll we'll see if that happens. And what if they only cut four? I I mean, they're going to cut six times next year if I said raise. They might cut. Uh, So the market's anticipating uh, much lower rates next year, and that's what's rallying the market right now. Um, we'll worry about next year, next year, but right now the momentum's pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just so interesting. He hasn't he's he's given kind of indications that they will cut rates, but you're right. So everybody's anticipating six. What happens if there are three, or if there's two, or there's four? Um, I feel as if the market loves certainty, and so with it being so uncertain, I don't know why they're so confident in kind of this rally, but hey, we'll, we'll take up is up, right? Well, it reminds me of uh, Alan Greenspan, because uh, after he spoke 
people are like, what did he say? What, <laughs> what, what's going on here? What does he mean? Uh, so people now are interpreting Powell's comments like, okay, did he really say we're going to start cutting rates? Did he really say we're going to start easing? And that's where there's a little bit of a battle going on right now between uh, what he said and what people are hearing. Yeah, because he hasn't come out and said, hey, we're going to lower rates next year. He's talking we're going to continue to that target of that 2.2% inflation rate. And people just have assumed and yeah. kind of just jumped on the bandwagon that no rates are going to be lower in the future, which makes sense. But uh, this Goldilocks scenario just keeps getting brought up and more and more, which is good. And we've talked about it a lot about how there's never been a soft landing, but now it seems like that's the main, the main uh, indicator, not the indicator, but the main thing that everybody's assuming is going to happen. Well, people are saying we're actually in the soft landing. We've already landed. So yeah, we're, in the, we're in the soft landing. And, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of in that camp because, yeah. you know, here we are with about a week or so to go, uh, you know, 11 days between now and the end of the year. We haven't had a market correction. Well, it did pull back in October, yeah. but uh, we don't have a recession. Things are looking good. Rates are moderating. And uh, so I, I think we're actually, I think we've landed. Wow. You heard it here first. That's that's uh, exciting. I mean, we we talked about it. And we we're like, maybe this will happen, but you just there's no historical evidence for it. So we might be living through history, which is really cool. Yeah. However, if you've ever landed at DFW, it it, it could take you an hour to get <laughs> off the plane. So uh, you know, Depending we'll, we'll see where airline. we go from here. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on how the pilots are compensated is that's the true. main main reason why it would be stuck or or gone in your turnstiles. Uh, perfect. Any other thing about the market? I mean, we love when the market's up, and I think we've talked about it, and nothing really has changed week over week, but anything you want to highlight other than what we've talked about? Well, I think what will start happening is uh, greed and FOMO will start working its way into the market where people feel like they have to start taking more risk. They see the market's up. Uh, you know, at these holiday parties, people are going to start talking about how much money they made, mm -hmm. and uh, people are going, oh, I, I need to get in on that. And so we'll probably see a lot of the greed kick in as people realize they've they've left their money in a in a T-bill at 5%, which is a good rate, but they're not getting 43% from the NASDAQ. So I think you could see a little bit of greed and FOMO kick in here uh, if it hasn't already started already. So what would you recommend to those that did the T-bill. I mean, they missed this wave. Do you just get in the market and try to stay in or do you wait for a pullback? What's really your recommendation for those folks? You know, those people bought a T-bill for a reason and, mm. and I would stay with that strategy. And, you know, we tell people to focus on the plan all the time. So it's not wise to abandon your strategy just because something might be doing better uh, and, and to chase it. That's where a lot of people get into trouble is they abandon their strategy, start chasing these high flyers, mm. and then the market corrects, and that's when the trouble starts. So if you bought a T-bill for the income, stay with it. You know, it, you bought it at, at the, uh, you know, for some specific reason. So don't abandon your plan right now and, and chase returns. That, that's when people get into trouble. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. Perfect. Well, let's transition over to our empowering education. And I'm glad we're able to talk about some high flyers and some growth stocks versus some more value stocks because this week's topic is the gift that keeps on giving dividend mm. stocks. I feel yes. as if dividends kind of get the not so um, not as much luster or, or glory as growth stocks, but we really want to step back and 
talk about why dividend stocks are so valuable and, and kind of why they are underrated as well. Yeah. Well, again, going back to the holiday party theme, you know, if you walked into a room and said, I own a, a broad portfolio of dividend paying stocks, people are going to go yawn, you know, and uh, move on to somebody else. But historically, uh, going back uh, decades, if not centuries, um, dividends have accounted for about 40% of the total return in the market. So the stock market returns about 10% annually. It's done that since 1926. Good times, bad times, 10%. So dividends have accounted for 40% of that 10%. So 4% return out of that 10%. So that's almost half of your return is coming from the dividend cash flow. And that's powerful, uh, especially if you reinvest that dividend and compound it over time. Yeah, and can, can we parse that out? So take a step back and, and realize, so when we're talking about return, we're talking a percentage, but so what does it mean for a growth, the percent that's the growth and then the percent that's the dividend for that total return? So the income is, is 4%, the growth is 6%, the total return is 10%. So okay. if you had a portfolio of non-dividend paying stocks, in theory, you're earning 6% interest. Yeah. And we're talking about growth. It's the stock price. So for example, if we had 10% growth, the price might only go from 100 to $106, but we get that dividend of the $4, which gives us that 10% return that yeah. we're looking for. Yeah. Perfect. So when we're talking, why, why is it that growth stocks, especially in this environment, are just so much more attractive than the dividend stock? Is it just due to boredom or do people, or is there a case for like, hey, growth stocks are a better performing asset than dividend stocks? Well, again, historically, value stocks have outperformed growth stocks, um, but that really hasn't been the case for the last 20 years. Uh, growth stocks have exploded. And they're the stocks that you hear about, NVIDIA, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Google, uh, Tesla, Netflix. You know, those are the stocks that have just crushed it over the last 20 years. And so people don't want to buy a Walgreens or a Pfizer or an Amgen or an Exxon or something like that. But uh, the growth this year has dramatically outperformed value stocks. It's like one of the widest margins ever. And uh, I'll give you that number here in a second. But uh, the growth stocks get all of the attention because they're they're flashy. Now, some of those high-flying growth stocks do pay dividends like yeah. Microsoft and Apple. So it's not like some of them don't pay dividends, but the majority of growth stocks uh, don't pay dividends or they pay minor dividends. So this year, uh, growth stocks are up 46%. Value stocks are up about 6.5%. Oh, wow. So there's almost a 40% spread this year between growth and value. And then if we go out 10 years, uh, growth stocks are up 162%, value up 64%. So almost 100% difference there. That's why people like growth stocks, that's why they don't like to buy dividend-paying value companies. Mm. That's a good point. And you, you mentioned it, but growth stocks, some of them do have a dividend. Have you noticed that companies, we talk about them starting small, going mid, going large, 
do they go from growth to value or if you're a growth stock, you're pretty much going to stay non-dividend or there's a couple outliers, but more growth for the entirety of the business's life? Yeah, they kind of straddled the line a little bit. Uh, certainly when Microsoft was was cheap during the, the Great Recession um, or even the tech wreck back in 2000, it was certainly a value stock. Uh, same thing with uh, Amazon um, and Apple. They go through periods where they are value based on the metrics, but they're still pretty much classified as growth stocks. Perfect. And so I missed my first question. So let's take a step back because I feel as if we jumped into it. Let's talk about what is a dividend and why would we consider it a gift that keeps on giving? So what is a dividend and why is it reliable? Kind of why do we say that? So a dividend is uh, paid by the company to its shareholders, typically on a quarterly basis. Um, so let's say they pay a $4 dividend. Hmm. You're going to get that dividend every quarter, $1 each quarter, so at the end of the year, you've earned $4. So it doesn't matter if the stock is up, down, or sideways, you're getting that dividend no matter what. And they pay it from profits. Uh, so a company that has a strong balance sheet, uh, they can do a couple of things. They can uh, retain the cash, they can buy back their stock, they can make acquisitions, uh, or uh, they can pay out a dividend. and um, Berkshire Hathaway is a great example. They're sitting on, I don't know how many hundreds of billions of dollars of cash. They've never paid a dividend because their philosophy is that they could do better with that money than the shareholders can. So they use that money to buy other companies, mm -hmm. uh, buy back their stock and so on. But a dividend is paid to the shareholders, typically on a quarterly basis, out of the profits from the company. And who makes that decision that, oh, we're going to have a $4 dividend? Is it an annual kind of conversation? Is it quarterly? Kind of how does that work? Uh, quarterly. It's the board of directors. Okay. So they say, let's pay a dividend. Now, uh, there is a term uh, called dividend aristocrats. And these are companies that have paid a dividend for at least 25 years consecutively and have raised that dividend every year. Wow. So uh, companies in this category are Sherwin-Williams, Target, Lowe's, Clorox, Medtronic, and, and uh, Abbott Labs. There's an ETF, uh, Noble, N-O-B-L, B as in boy, N-O-B-L, that only buys dividend aristocrats. But that the dividend discussion is by the board of directors okay. to both pay and to raise. Okay, yeah, I think. and it's quarterly conversation, so it, the company could easily say, hey, no dividend this quarter, and that would be in their rights. So Intel last year uh, cut their dividend uh, dramatically, uh, which and they used to be a dividend aristocrat, they're no longer, uh, but they cut their dividend, and uh, when companies cut dividend, they're raising cash. They they need the cash. It's it's survival mode for a lot of situations. And so they say, hey, rather than pay out the dividend, we're going to retain that cash and mm -hmm. use it to uh, shore up our balance sheet uh, for the time being. So typically when companies cut dividends, that's not a good sign. Okay, that's a, that's a good point. And when we're talking about income, kind of what's your philosophy once maybe somebody's retired should they gravitate more towards value stocks? Because we talked about how growth stocks have been outperforming. 
but dividend you're able to kind of rely on that income. What's kind of the balance between those two? Well, uh, the famous financial planning planning answer is it depends. Because <laughs> uh, uh, most most dividend paying stocks pay one or two percent, three percent maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for most people, that's not enough income to live off. Yeah. Uh, so you need a balance of growth and dividends. Now, there are some companies, we mentioned uh, uh, Pfizer, their dividend is close to 6%. Uh, Walgreens right now is about 7.5%. Pepsi's over 3 Exxon's about 3.5%. So there are some companies that do pay uh, a, a significant dividend rate or dividend amount to their shareholders. So here, though, you got to be cautioned because the higher the dividend yield usually means that stock has a little hair on it. There's something going on there that's not right. Uh, And a high dividend usually means the stock price is depressed. So certainly that's the case with Walgreens and Pfizer. Um, But going back to that 10% return annually, if you buy Pfizer today, you've just locked in a 6% return on the stock. Yeah. And Pfizer has a history of raising their dividend. So the stock only has to move 4% for you to get a 10% return on an annual basis in Pfizer. Um, So to your question, uh, you need a mix of dividend paying stocks and growth stocks because pure dividend stocks for most people won't give them the income they need. Yeah, but I think that's a very valuable point that gets overlooked often is you're looking, a lot of people just look at the price and see what's going on with the stock, but you said that 6% dividend to get a 10% return and you only need a 4% increase on price. So just being cognizant of that is very important. And then when we're talking about dividend stocks, you've mentioned some of the stalwarts of them, but what would you consider kind of the battleships that you know, are, are ones that people should maybe look into if they're trying to get into these dividend stocks? Well, if they're searching for dividend-paying stocks, uh, I would Google dividend aristocrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the balance, or those are the battleship stocks. They've paid dividends for 25 years. Uh, they've raised their dividend for 25 years, and that's a good place to start. Uh, again, they could look at the holdings uh, on Noble ETF, NOBL. Uh, they could also look at uh, Vanguard's Dividend Appreciation ETF, VIG, the VIG, mm. and that will list them there. But those are two good places to start uh, looking for dividend-paying companies uh, because uh, those companies, if they are strong dividend payers, have strong balance sheets. And what do you mean by that? Well, strong balance sheet meaning? A lot of cash, a lot of assets, more assets than liabilities. Uh, you know, if you think of your, your own personal situation, uh, if you have a lot of money in the bank, you have a strong balance sheet. If you don't have any money in the bank and you're in debt, you've got problems. So yeah. same thing with corporations. Uh, you want to avoid companies with poor balance sheets, uh, low assets, low cash, high debt, uh, so dividend-paying companies typically are considered the blue chips, the, the, the battleships of the market. Love it. Well, it is Christmas, and as we know, the dividends is just a little gift that you get dropped off hopefully every quarter. Is there anything else you'd like to add about dividend stocks? Yeah, let's look at two things. Um, let's say you have a million-dollar portfolio, 2.5% dividend income. So you're getting twenty-five grand a year, and over... Uh, 
in 10 years, you're getting a quarter of a million dollars returned back to you for doing pretty much nothing. And over 20 years, you're getting a half million dollars. And that's before your account even moves one penny. So a lot of people like last year, you know, the markets were down significantly. They didn't look at their cash flow stream and say, hey, over the next five or 10 years, I'm going to get almost all that money back, if not more. And a lot of people don't project out their cash flow. But on a dividend paying portfolio, again, over 10 years, in this example, you're getting a quarter of a million dollars returned back to you, uh, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. And then let's let's look at the lost decade. Uh, where the S&P 500 had a negative return. So from January 2000 to 2010, the S&P 500 uh, lost 14%. So negative return for the decade. Uh, Growth stocks did even worse. But if you had a dividend-paying portfolio, a total return portfolio, you made 4.5% that decade. So the dividends accounted for more than 100% of the return during the last decade of 2000. And if you had that cash flow, if you had that dividend income, you actually made money that decade. Hmm. So if you had all your money in gross stocks or non-dividend paying stocks, you lost money. But if you had a dividend paying portfolio, you you uh, were profitable for those 10 years. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's Something that a lot of people don't look at. Because you, you hear lost decade, right? Nobody's making any money, but with those dividend stocks, you're able to make that 4%. That's huge. And, you know, human nature is people want to make money now. Yeah. They want to double their money tomorrow. They want to know what stock they could buy today and sell it in two weeks and make a significant profit. They don't want to hear, hey, if you buy Pfizer, which is down 43% this year, hey, if you buy it today, you're going to get a 6% dividend. And over time, you're going to do well. They They don't want to hear that. They want to know, how can I ring the register today? How can I make the most money today? Uh, And those people usually end up losing the most money. It's it's the uh, tortoise and the hare. You know, the tortoise always wins in the end. And dividend-paying stocks are, in my opinion, uh, safer and provide a better return over time than than non-dividend payers. Yeah. I think... A perfect book title would be The Secret to Wealth Creation, Making Your Coworkers Yawn at the Christmas Party. <laughs> yeah, if you can make your coworkers yawn, man, you are in the right portfolio. So yeah. if you say, I own a dividend portfolio of diversified, low-cost ETFs, they're going to like, okay, guy, we'll, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> they want to know if you own NVIDIA, yes. Bitcoin, Coinbase, um, or AI at this point with Microsoft yeah. and Bart with yeah. Google, yeah, I mean, or Alphabet. Um, yeah, no, I completely. They want to know if you have an AI infused Bitcoin portfolio. <laughs> exactly. Well, perfect. I appreciate that, Bill. And we're going to transition over into our faithful finance, and we're actually going to be talking about how to deal with temptation, especially when it comes from the idea of wealth creation. And we always talk about how the love of money is the root of all evil, not necessarily money. And so Jesus has a really good example when he goes out to the wilderness to start his ministry. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the adversary, the devil, comes and tempts him one-on-one. And it says, the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If then will you worship me, 
it will be all yours. And Jesus responds to Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And I think that is just great information because Jesus does a couple things there. So I can't imagine being shown the entirety of the kingdom or in this case, billions upon billions of dollars and saying, hey, if you just renounce the Lord and worship me, pretty easy, I'll give you all of this money. And I think we don't necessarily get as crazy temptation as that, but I think there are daily or yearly temptations on which are we going to cut corners? Are we going to shaft some people? Are we going to give up some things in order to chase this wealth, in order to make this wealth our God or not? And I think Jesus' response is perfect because he always responds with Scripture. and He has memorized Scripture. Uh, that comes from Exodus, that, he, that verse that he quoted. And so I think this is great to know that like once we get temptations with wealth, Wealth is not bad. Love of wealth is bad. Mm. And so once we get those temptations, how do we respond? It should be in response, maybe quoting scripture. I think that's where the memorization of scripture being a discipline is so essential to temptation and understanding like, hey, we worship God. God will provide and we're able to be a steward of those resources, not the other way around. Mm. Not we get everything and then we're able to serve God. No, it's the Lord provides, and then we serve through that resources, those resources. As they say, you want vision before provision. Mm. And uh, that's from my wife, by the way. That's a good word. <laughs> Give her credit. Uh, but, I, you know, when you're reading that, I was thinking of Solomon. Right? Mm. He could have had anything he wanted, and the first thing he took was wisdom. Yeah. And uh, he could have had, he could have said riches. He could have said, I want all the land, I want everything, and uh, but he, he chose wisdom. And uh, also thinking about uh, Mary and Joseph, since we're coming up on Christmas here, yeah. um, they knew the word. They were in Scripture, and they were faithful and obedient, and and, uh, and that's probably why they were chosen yeah. as the parents of Jesus. Yeah, I think Joseph doesn't get enough credit, because um, if I was, well, I was engaged a couple years ago, and if my person whom I was betrothed to... Uh, said that she was pregnant and I'd be like, well, <laughs> I don't really, and said it was pregnant from God. I would be like, ah, I don't, I don't really know about this. <laughs> but, um, I guess Joseph is a stronger faith than I, um, but he, no, I think he, that's, a, he was known as the, uh, silent saint. And mm. I don't think he ever speaks in scripture and, uh, and what he did to, uh, shepherd Mary, uh, move around to different cities yeah. uh, was was very powerful. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And then also just the Solomon point, like, right, he, he could have been gotten kingdoms or riches and he chose wisdom. And the Lord's like, that's a really good answer. I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you wealth and kingdoms. So yeah. I, I, I agree. I just think if we take a step back and ponder upon scripture, and that's why I think quiet times and devotionals are so important is because they give us those daily reminders of, who do we worship? Why do we worship? And how do we respond to temptation? And I know for me personally, days in which I don't spend time in the word, my mind tends to, it seems like it's a lot more difficult to fight temptation rather than those times that I am in the word and present in them. Yep, I agree. Perfect. Well, Bill, what would you like to leave our listeners with this, uh, this Christmas season? 
Yeah, well, Merry Christmas, first and foremost. Um, just bake in the glory of this year, uh, all the blessings we've received, um, and may they spill over to 2024. Love it. All right, thank you. All right, thanks. Thank you.